0: morning again. If you have a Bible today, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We're going to be there, and you might go ahead and look at Deuteronomy 11. We're going to go back and forth, Old Testament New Testament today. I don't normally do that, but almost like a liturgical church today, an Old Testament reading and a New Testament reading. That wouldn't be a bad thing, anyway. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Uh, Let's start with verse 5. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. I want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay on in Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door for effective work has opened to me. And... There are many who oppose me. May God bless the reading of this as unholy inspired word. This is the Apostle Paul. He's on his missionary journey and he's traveling around from town to town and church to church. And he's planning to come back to the church at Corinth. And he's saying, but it's going to be a while before I come because I've got this, this situation here in, in Ephesus. Um, He said, a great door for effective work has opened, and there are many who oppose me. You know, I think this is a passage that we could uh, probably look at every year about this time. You know, we're, we're, we're right here on the cusp of the new year. We're just getting started in the new year. You know, this is day number eight. Um... And we have, I think, if we were honest, there's all kinds of open doors. There's all kinds of opportunities for us as children of God. And I talked last week, if you missed, I talked about us being salt and light. And I hope some of you made some resolutions and some goals for this year that revolve around you being salt and light for God. But at the same time, there's going to be difficulties this year. The Apostle Paul says, there are many who oppose me. It's, it's, you know it's kind of like a throwaway comment. He says, "There's a great opportunity out there, and, and there's many that oppose me. I mean, I think he's being realistic. He's saying that life is full of, of things that are, are great opportunities, but life is also full of, of difficulties. And that's the way it's going to be every year. Well, it's 2017 or 2018 or 19 or20? Whatever year it is, there's going to be there's a great door for effective work, and there, there are many who oppose us. There are many difficulties in the way. I was reflecting back as I was preparing this message, and I thought about when, when Connie and I were much younger, many years ago, we were just beginning our ministry. We'd been married two years, and we moved to El Dorado, Arkansas, uh, where I worked at Marable Hill Chapel as their student minister. And um, it was a church about the size of, of 12th Avenue uh, in a town about the size of Emporia, in fact. Different, we didn't have college students. We weren't a college town, so we had more, more families and students and those things than, than we did college students, so it was a little different. The senior pastor had, had founded the church when he was 24 years old, and he was in his 50s then. So I was there. I got blessed to be there when I feeling like he was at the peak of, of ministry for God. Um, We owned our own camp. We did camp ministry for half of the year. Uh, It was a a very um, uh, great time for us. And sometimes, sometimes I'll be talking with Connie and, and I'll start reflecting back and I fall into nostalgia. You know what nostalgia is? Nostalgia is selective remembrance. Hang with me now. We, we talk about them. They're also referred to as the good old days. I don't know if any of you ever do that. And and I fall back into that, and I get nostalgic, and, I, and I'll do that, and I'll think back, because it was a time, you know... Um, you know, it was a different time in our country. Culturally, Christianity was a little different, and ministers were respected, and churches were seen as, as bastions of, of truth and, and light and hope. Uh, m- most people still thought the Bible was the Word of God and trusted it. And I'll, I'll kind of reflect back and fall into that selective remembrance, and then Connie will remind me, that, uh, yeah, we used to go to this camp every summer where we had no air conditioning. She remembers me that the devil was working against us and life was hard, and we had problem teenagers, and we had problem teenager parents, if I can say that. So it was, anyway, we live in a different time now, though. Oh my land. I think back about reading books, reading novels back when, you know, 30, 40 years ago, I'd read a novel and it'd talk about terrorism and things going on in countries and stuff, and I thought, What? That could never happen. And it happens seemingly daily in our world. So all this is going on. And the church, the church's role seems to be kind of have been diminished. Steve Norman said this, he's the pastor of a community church in Michigan. For the first time in my memory, the evangelical church in the U.S. is a minority voice in the conversation on human sexuality. Whereas the church used to be the one that people looked to for guidance. Not so much. Not so much. Jim Wilson is director of the D-Men program at, Un, at Gateway Seminary in Ontario, California. He said the, this, the, the new marriage culture codified by the Supreme Court's decision has made many Christians anxious, but it also creates an opportunity to demonstrate humility and love toward those whose values do not align with ours. We can get cues on how to minister in this culture from Jesus, who was full of truth and love. And then he said this, and it kind of hit me. The defining issue for pastoral ministry in 2017 is the gospel. Will we believe it has the power to transform lives and preach it boldly? Or will we pine for the days when Christianity was the cultural norm? Remember, the light shines brightest on the darkest night are we going to believe that the gospel still has the power to transform lives are we just going to fall back into some kind of nostalgia of the good old days some of you young folks are looking at me because you're like I don't know what you're talking about but some of you do know what I'm talking about you remember you remember what it used to be like but we're in a new reality you know, it, it's uh, the language that's been bantered around for probably the last 20 years is a post-Christian America. Post-Christian America. Christianity is not the cultural norm anymore. In fact, the demographics prove this. The uh, increasing number of nuns, people who check none, when asked about their religi- religious affiliation. In fact, this is what the survey shows. In the 1940s, 5% Checked none. 1990 it was up to 8%. By 2008 it almost doubled to 15%. In 2012, 19.3% of people checked none when they were asked about their religious affiliation. Do you see the trajectory? Do you see where we're headed? Do you see the opportunity? Ah, you could see it as, oh, we're on a downward spiral. I don't see that. I see, what an opportunity. Because I will say this, and I'll say something about it again in a minute probably, but I remember when we had cultural Christianity. And I look at my generation, and I look at my class from high school, and I don't know that any more of them are following God out of that than I see folks today. Just to be candid. But this tells us that one out of five people, one out of five people will check the box none for religious affiliation. And you know and I know that a lot of people who check off the box Baptist or Methodist or Catholic or whatever, they might as well be checking none. Just saying. Because it's just nominal. So many of us are aware of that, but we... Many are not, but this is the way we're going and, and it can it can push us and that's that's where this topic came from today, the title of the message, Fear Is Everywhere, Feed Your Faith. Fear is everywhere, feed your faith. This being in a, an increasingly minority position and looking at the world's situation, looking at all the problems in the world and all the things that are happening, can push us, can nudge us into fearful ways of thinking. And I just think that's wrong. I think that's wrong. So I want to talk about faith this week and the next, actually next three weeks, and the next couple of weeks I'm going to talk about what I talk about every year, how to feed your faith. I'm going to talk about six disciplines to practice And I talk about them every year. I have for 10 years now because they leak. I'll talk to you about personal worship and you'll say, oh yeah, I ought to be doing that. And then i say, well, how are you doing it? And you say, well, I'll say, uh, sometimes. So we're going to talk about that again. And then the last Sunday of the month, I'm going to talk about, it's kind of a little political reprise from my message I did before the election, but maybe a little different than you want about faith and America. But the umbrella for all of this, the big umbrella for all this is feed your faith. And, I, and I, think, I think the people that should have the most faith sometimes are the most fearful in the church. And I'm talking to my generation. I heard a great talk by, by, uh, by Andy Stanley. And uh, before I say that, let me, let me tell you another story. I was, I was just thinking about this. I told somebody this the other day, and, and they were kind of incredulous. When I was growing up in the public school, I remember in the eighth grade, when I was in the eighth grade, and I know that was a long, long time ago, okay? Uh, when I was in the eighth grade, my homeroom teacher, every day, we took out the Bible and the public school and read a chapter of Scripture and prayed together. Uh, it was against the law. She said she didn't care. She was going to do it anyway, and she did it. Um. Now, again, I'll go back and just say that was kind of some of the mentalities out there, and we've moved away from that. And that is not to, dis- any of you school teachers here, I'm not disparaging you for that. I don't mean to sound like that. But I'm just saying that culturally, that Christianity had a, it was, it was a more of a norm then. But I will say this, again, I'm not sure out of my high school class there's any more following Jesus than out of your high school class. I'm not sure that's made all the difference. Before the election, Andy Stanley did a talk, and it's some of you may have seen it on Facebook. I thought it was pretty good. And and um, he said avoid election infection. And he talked to those of us who are over 45. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. You know who you are. And, and just talking about our generation, how that we were so fearful during the election. That if we don't get the right leader, we don't fix the economy, we don't pass the right laws, we don't get the right policies in place, that it's going to be the end of the world. And basically Andy said, quit scaring the children. <laughs> quit scaring everybody younger. Where is your faith? And, and, and I just want to say, that's a, it was a good word to me. Faith. What is faith? Faith is the confidence that, well, faith is the confidence that God is in control God keeps His promises, and nothing can thwart the plan of God. That's what faith is. Where is our faith? And faith in God is the answer to our fears, not a human being, not a political party, not a policy, not an economy, not safety. I know people who think it would have been the end of the world if Hillary had been elected. And I also know people who think the end is near. And they're both wrong. They're both wrong. The end of the world's not going to come until God says it's going to come. All right, are we there? And I don't say that because people and politics and policies don't matter. They do. And we should care about those things and we should be involved with them. But we need to understand they are going to always, they're going to always be secondary to our faith. They're always going to be secondary to our faith in God. You know, the sovereignty of God has to come first. Listen, we look back over history. All through history, God has worked in the midst of horrible, horrible circumstances to accomplish His goals. And I I just say every election election in, in recent history... In, in recent history, for me anyway, I'd say over the last, since I've been engaged really in the political process and, 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 and knowledgeable about elections for the last 40 years, Christians have been saying, if we get this candidate, it's going to be the end of the world if we don't get this one instead. And sometimes we got the one we wanted, and sometimes we didn't. And I'm not saying that doesn't matter, but I'm just saying we have to keep that in perspective as people of faith. So, now our, new, now our Old Testament reading, Deuteronomy chapter 11. If you would turn to that, Deuteronomy 11, or find it on your device. Deuteronomy 11, I'm going to read the first eight verses, seven verses. Love the Lord and keep His requirements, His decrees, His laws, and His command always. Remember today that your children were not the ones who saw and experienced the discipline of the Lord your God. His majesty, His mighty hand, His outstretched arm, the signs He performed the things he did in the hearts in the heart of Egypt, both to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his whole country, what he did to the Egyptian army, to its horses and chariots, how he overwhelmed with the waters of the Red Sea as they were pursuing you, and how the Lord brought lasting ruin on them. And I'm going to pause there for a minute. History shows that not only did that Pharaoh die, and the, but, but for the next few Pharaohs, they could never even establish an army. Lasting ruin on the nation of Egypt. It was not your children who saw what he did for you in the desert until you arrived at this place. And what he did to Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab the Reubenite, when the earth opened its mouth right in the middle of all Israel and swallowed them up with their households, their tents, and every living thing that belonged to them. But it was your own eyes that saw all these great things the Lord has done." This is, this is part of the instruction that's being given to the nation of Israel. Um, historically, this is, they're about to enter the promised land, and if you remember the story, God raised up a deliverer, his name was Moses, and, and did all these mighty miracles in, in the nation of Egypt, and God delivered them out of Egypt, they crossed the Red Sea on dry land. God collapsed the water in on the Red Army. The, the, the Red Sea, not Red Army, on the Egyptian Army, excuse me. Uh, they came out the other side. You know, because of their rebellion, God judged them and said, you are going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. They did. They've wandered for 40 years, and they're now about to enter the promised land. And this is some instruction that he's given to them. And he begins by saying, Your kids didn't see this. You saw it. Remember what I did for you, how I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you across the Red Sea on dry land, and I destroyed the Egyptian army. Remember how I judged Dathan and Abiram because of their rebellion. You have seen my hand at work in your life. He's talking to the older portion of the population. Andy Stanley would say 45 and older. I don't know what we'd say. The older constituency. My generation. He's talking to us. And I think there's a real application to us, folks, in this idea of feeding your faith. He is pointing them back to faith that God is in control, that nothing is going to thwart the plan of God. And he's saying to them, You've been, you've seen all this. You who have walked with God for a while, you've seen all this. And he's saying to us today, I think, those of us who know Christ and we've been walking with him for a few years now, or maybe five years, or maybe 10 years, or maybe 20 or 30 or 40 years. He's saying, Remember, How God provided a job for you, or He healed your child, and a relationship was reconciled, and marital love was rekindled, and wayward children found their way back. Remember, remember, remember. It's a word of teaching to them, even a word of rebuke to them. He's saying, if anyone should have faith, it is you. I was chatting with my older son, Brad, in the last few months. I can't remember the context of when it was, but I was just talking about some things in my things life that I was looking forward to. And I said, you know, I'm a little anxious about this situation, a little fearful about this situation, what's going to happen. And, and uh, if you know Brad, he kind of pushed back. Brad has a lot of pushback in him, he always has. He, he kind of scolded me. He said, Dad, Dad. What are you, what's wrong with you? Why should you be afraid? You've seen God work in your life all through the years and take care of you and mom all through the years. I went, yeah, you're right. (laughs) He's right. What have you seen with your own eyes? It's easy to forget. Some of you have heard this story. Some of you didn't hear this story a couple weeks ago, I did it on the fly. I told the story of my pastor in Arkansas. So I'm going to go back to that ministry I had when I was just a young guy. Some of you didn't hear this story, so I'm going to tell it again. Those of you who have heard it before, bear with me. I went there when I was 24 years old to be the, be the student minister. And about a year into that, the pastor and his family went off to the panhandle of Florida. They took three weeks vacation every year in the month of August and would be gone. And Al was kind of in charge. (laughs) Scary thought. (laughs) Anyway, I'd just gone to bed one night about 11.45 and the phone rang and I went and answered the phone and it was Dot Shepperson, his wife. And she's talking to me like I'm talking to you. said, hey Al, how are you doing? said, I just needed to call you. Um, Sam's had a brain aneurysm. The next 24 hours are critical. So just wanted to call you and let you know so that that you can pray about this <laughs> I'm freaking out on the phone uh, I get off the phone and I think this is too much, this is too much for me to have this, this information by myself so I get on the phone and I start calling people in the church I know, it's quarter to twelve at night and I said, we're having a prayer meeting at the church at twelve thirty uh, and come, y'all come, we got to pray for Sam, he, he's, about, he's about to die and so um, at 1230 that night, a lot of us gathered down at the altar in that church and got on our knees before God and prayed for that man. And God spared his life. In fact, they did a, a follow-up angiogram or whatever they call that, and they said, we don't, we don't see any sign that you ever even had an aneurysm. You know, that's part of my journey that I'd, I'd kind of forgotten about. You've got some of those stories too that, that, that you need to, to dial back up, that you need to remember. I was thinking about Roger, who was a hard drinking, wild living teenager who found the Lord and is following God to this day as a Christian father, grandfather, and businessman. And I thought back about students who said not only yes to Christ, but yes to God's call upon their lives, and they're serving Him to this day around the world. And, and, and so those were all part of what God has done. And so I guess I'd, I'd just challenge you. If you've walked with God for a while, what is it that you need to dredge up from the archives? What is it that you need to, to pull back up where you've seen the hand of God in your life, in your family, where God has shown up. What stories do you need to recite to your children? You know, there's some stories. uh, Audrey was talking about the storytelling workshop, you know. Have I ever told you about? Well, there's some of those stories that need to be told and need to be retold they're stories of faith and they're important stories for our children to hear because you see the God of the Bible, the God of the Old Testament who led the nation of Israel across on dry land, the God who did all the New Testament miracles is the God that we follow today. Nothing has changed. He is no weaker than he was in those days. And so Deuteronomy 11 is a good word to us. Now, I'm just going to breeze through the rest of the chapter because some other good things here. He said in verse 8, observe my commands and I will provide for you. And I don't think this is some kind of legalism that he's saying to them. He's just saying the law of the harvest. The law of the harvest is if you obey me, then I will be able to bless you. In fact, this chapter ends with that great choose you today, blessings or curses. He goes on to say to be careful of false gods in verse 16. Be careful of false gods. and and Nothing's new. Nothing's new under the sun. We have false gods today. The gods of money and power and sex and pride and hobbies and addictions. They're false gods. Verse 19 and 20, he talks about teaching your children. And he actually repeats the Shema that we have in chapter 6. That's where we usually use it. Uh, Verse 19, teach them to your children. Talking about them when you sit down at home, when you walk, along the road when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gateway so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land that the Lord swore to your forefathers as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. Teach your children. And he talks about doing it. Notice what he says. He says, do it as you walk along the way, as you sit down in your house. He's saying, make this a part of your real life. It's great for you to read the Bible with your family and it's great for you to pray with your kids. But let me tell you, all that means nothing unless you model it in the way that you sit down and you walk and you live and you, it's because your kids are watching you. And if your life doesn't measure up with the Bible stories that you're reading to them, then these Bible stories are going to be like the stories that you read to them when they were little children. They're going to be fairy tales. Unless your life matches up the way you live matches up with what you're telling them about Jesus. Verse 24 and 25, it says that God's going to give them a territory. And I think we ought to take that too and we ought to claim that for 2017, that God will give us a territory, but not a physical land, but that God would give us souls. God would give us individuals and hearts of believers that would change the allegiance of their heart so that they would be living under the flag of King Jesus. They would have a a new allegiance that he would rule and reign over their lives. And the goal of my heart is I want to see the flag of King Jesus waving over many, many, many more lives before I lay down my life. That's the territory that we need to ask God for. So we begin the year The Apostle Paul said there's a great door for effective ministry before us. We have many who oppose us. We have many enemies. Made me think about the old Pogo comic of yesteryear. We have met the enemy and he is us. Um, I, I just want to tell you your greatest enemy lives inside of you. Your greatest enemy if we succumb to fear our complacency in our spiritual lives if we fall into nostalgia or selective remembrance as I like to call it if we let some other sin consume us hijack us from our first love then the fear that is everywhere will rule and reign in our lives So feed your faith. Feed your faith. I think we're going to stop there. I had some more thoughts, but I think this is enough for us today. Come back next week. We'll do some more on feeding our faith, some practical steps we can take to do that. If you're at a step in your spiritual journey and you're wondering what the next step for you to take is, I'd love to chat with you about that. Uh, For you to come to faith, to grow in your faith, whatever it is, as always, I'd love to hear from you. Let's stand together for our closing prayer. Before I pray today, what, what's, what's the next step for you? Do, do you realize that, that you have let fear run away with your heart? When, when God is looking to be there for you, he's he's calling you to faith, he's calling you to belief, he's calling you to believe that he is truly in control, that his plans are good, and no one, no thing will ever thwart his plan. remember what God has done for you if you've seen the hand of God in your life will you recite those stories will you remember those events will you give him the praise for that and as you do that may you may you feed your faith encourage your belief and your trust in the God who is sovereign over this whole universe forever and ever and ever, world without end. In Jesus' name, amen.